0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Miracles are very much a part of Lent. We don't always think of Lent in that way, though, do we? I mean, isn't Epiphany the time of miracles? And Lent, then, the time we get back to the basics, the basics of repentance and simple faith shunning the thrills and frills of life. Some of you have given up chocolate, for example, or sweets altogether for these 40 days of Lent. And many of us tonight have just come in from a plain old soup supper. After all, it wasn't a fancy midweek steak dinner, now was it? So we sort of think of Lent as stripping away then of some of Epiphany's flash. But as Pastor Rob pointed out last week on Ash Wednesday, the signs of the supernatural are alive and well in the passion narrative of our Lord. They just take on a different, perhaps darker tone, as in the sky turning dark for three hours when our Lord suffered and died on Golgotha's cross. And as we continue our way through Matthew's gospel account of the crucifixion, Tonight, we examine the wondrous sign in the temple the moment our Lord died, the tearing of the temple curtain. Here's Matthew's account. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Matthew 27. Then the text goes on to name a few more wondrous signs that we will address in the coming weeks, like rocks splitting and other very strange things indeed. But the curtain, which was torn in two from top to bottom the moment Christ died, had long hung in the inner chamber of the temple there in Jerusalem. The temple, as impressive as it stood in its day, was Well, by today's skyline standards, not a particularly huge building, but in its religious significance, it was mega huge, the absolute center of first century Jewish religious life. So in the temple, the curtain functioned as a separation between its two main rooms, beyond the priestly holy place was the next room that was by far the one with greatest significance, the most holy place, sometimes called the holy of holies. This room was regarded as the very dwelling place of the true and living God in all of his glory and holiness, indeed, a threatening presence as it related to our sinful human flesh. The curtain then, was a sort of safety buffer, six inches thick. It most likely was a double curtain reaching some 60 feet high, by some estimates, with a width equivalent to the interior of the temple itself. The separation it created reminded the people of Isaiah 59:2, which reads, "Your iniquities." have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. And people got it. They understood it. But the curtain was not the only form of separation by any means. Around the temple taken as a complete structure were many walls, other curtains, and specially designated courts. All degrees of separation which kept the people who were sinful and impure, a safe distance from their holy God. What exactly was on the other side of the curtain, you ask? That most holy place was that sacred room into which only the high priest was allowed to enter in order to carry on his priestly function of offering a sacrifice on behalf of the nation. This sacred room contained sacred relics, in the first temple, often referred to as Solomon's temple because he had it built, the Holy of Holies housed the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets, Aaron's rod, and manna that came down from heaven. These sacred relics, however, all disappeared at the time of the first temple's destruction at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in 586 B.C. Only rumors remained of these holy objects, rumors that make good fodder for movies like Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark. So what was left inside the second temple rebuilt by Nehemiah and added onto by Herod the Great, whose name, by the way, becomes associated with this second temple, so-called Herod's temple. What was in there? This reconstructed temple in Jesus' day still had the menorah, or golden lampstand, the table of showbread, and the golden altar of incense. Instead of the high priest sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, in Jesus' day, the second temple priest used in place of the ark a foundation stone, they called it, on which the high priest placed his censure. There, second temple priests sprinkled the blood. One more very significant thing that was missing from this second temple, however, was the glory of the Lord, the so-called Shekinah glory or cloud of brightness that would appear in the first temple and first appeared in the desert as a cloud of fire by day and a cloud of smoke by, or excuse me, a cloud of fire by night and a cloud of smoke by day during the 40-year sojourn of the children of Israel led by Moses. Now, Ezekiel 10 describes the glory of the Lord leaving the first temple right before Babylon's invasion. And this glory cloud manifesting God's presence in the temple was never witnessed again. Even after the temple was rebuilt, I always found that interesting. The term Shekinah glory itself is not found in the Old Testament, but it's a rabbinical word whose root means dwelling. And it is their word to refer to God's dwelling among his people in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, and then for a while in Solomon's temple until God's judgment on the nation for their idolatrous ways fell upon Judah and they were exiled off to Babylon. Fast forward now to Jesus' day, and in a similar way, there are very strange accounts in the Jewish Talmud regarding things going awry in the second temple now after Jesus died at around 30 AD, when Matthew records the tearing of the curtain from top to bottom. Now, a 60-foot curtain being torn from top to bottom at just the moment of Jesus' death would seem to indicate divine activity, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you think so? A supernatural sign. Now, if that weren't strange enough, first-century rabbis, extra-biblical material here, who would be extremely reluctant to admit that they executed their Messiah, God's anointed, nevertheless, they leave us a record of many things gone awry in the Jerusalem temple starting at the time of Jesus' death on the cross. Whereas the tearing of the temple curtain itself is not included in this account, nevertheless, listen to what this excerpt from the Jerusalem Talmud records and what they record as started to happen, about 40 years, it says, prior to the second temple's destruction in 70 A.D. Now, if you do the math, that would place this at the beginning of these strange events of the temple at about 30 A.D. From Talmud Tractate, that's what they call these sections of the Talmud, Yoma 6.3, we read this. It has been taught, 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the western light went out. The crimson thread remained crimson, and the lot for the Lord always came up in the left hand. They would close the gates of the temple by night and get up in the morning and find the gates wide open. Said to the temple, Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, O temple, why do you frighten us? We know that you will end up destroyed. For it has been said, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Quoting there, Zechariah 11. What were those things that that section of the Talmud was referring to? Well, the so-called Western light was the equivalent of what we call in our sanctuary the eternal flame, if you notice that red light, the red uh, candle right above the flowers next to the cross. Some churches refer to that as the Everlasting light. We always keep that lit here as a symbol of God's presence among us, continuing even when we are not holding a service. It's always lit, hence the name. Well, that light in the temple would not stay lit starting 40 years before the temple's destruction according to these Talmudic records. Interesting, isn't it? The crimson thread according to post-Old Testament Jewish tradition, would supernaturally change color to white every year on the day of atonement. This was a thread that they had in the temple, and the thread's miraculous change from crimson to white was thought to reflect God's promise in Isaiah 118. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be As white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. The cessation of this miraculous event in the first century seems to imply that the rituals on the Day of Atonement were not effective in dealing with the people's sins any longer. At least that's how you and I would interpret it, I would imagine. The two lots, kind of like dice, if you picture those. They would be cast in the temple each day of atonement, Yom Kippur, to determine which goat would be sacrificed and which would be set free as the scapegoat. This was done in such a way that the one lot marked to be sacrificed, quote, for God, they wrote on it, would sometimes fall on the right-hand side, and this was always considered a sign of God's favor because you would be on God's right hand. But strangely, rabbis recorded, in the 40 years leading up to the temple's destruction, a statistical variance defied expectations of probability. The lot for the Lord always came up time after time in the left hand. That meant they did not receive God's favor year after year after year. Finally, the protective gates of the temple ground that helped create that sense of security. They would, they would not stay shut. The rabbis record that the temple gates would open of their own accord in an unexplainable manner. This was seen as an open invitation to would-be intruders onto the temple grounds there. Or worse, it could mean that God is exiting out of the temple and refusing to dwell there. Any longer, This is how these strange temple happenings were understood by the Jewish rabbis who recorded this portion of the Jerusalem Talmud at the time of Jesus' death and then going forward. You can see how that one rabbi, Yoanan ben Zakkai, would interpret such mysterious events as portents of coming destruction. Oh temple, why do you frighten us? We know that you will end up Destroyed, for it has been said from Zechariah, Open your doors, O Lebanon, let the fire devour your cedars. There are mentions, too, in other later Talmudic writings of the curtain in the temple being, quote, torn to pieces, but because of their later date of recording and some lack of specificity on the timeline there, it's more difficult to make it clear historical connection from them to Matthew's account, at least not as strong a case as these Jerusalem Talmudic writings do, which set the timeline very close to the crucifixion of our Lord. You know, the inspired New Testament writer of the book of Hebrews gives his his own explanation as to what transpired at Christ's crucifixion. And his interpretation is, is not just his, but the Holy Spirit's who inspired him. He talks about not a drawing away of God, but amazingly, a drawing near, quite the opposite, by the perfect, once-for-all sacrifice of his own spotless body on the cross. Jesus opens a way to the Holy Spirit's indwelling of every believer. The very presence of God intimately adjoined to repentant sinners whose bodies now, through faith in Christ, become a temple of the living God. Beyond extraordinary. From Hebrews 10. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast with the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10. Amen. And here's St. Paul's amen to the Ephesian believers, whom he reminds, through Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Tonight, we are reminded of this access. We are reminded of our reconciliation to God every time we enter church. There is no court of the priests to go through before we get to the altar. There is no court of women beyond which they are forbidden to come. All sinners are invited of every variety, gender, race, and age. Nor do we have a curtain separating the chancel from the pews. Here we are, seated, beloved, and forgiven by our God. The tearing of the curtain in the temple is a wondrous sign of the Heavenly Father's welcome. Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, who shed His blood for you on Calvary... He is your welcome. Through the faith worked in us then by the Holy Spirit, we have access to eternal life. Miracles do happen in Lent. Amen. And now may he who began a good work in you bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.